Welcome to the New America NYC podcast. This event was recorded on December 11, 2015, and is titled Engendering Change. Could corporate board quotas be better for business? In collaboration with the Core Club. And features Bridget Schulte, the director of the Breadwinning and Caregiving Program at New America, Heidi Miller, former president of JP Morgan International, Turid Solvang, managing director of the Norwegian Institute of Directors, and Jay Newton Small, author of Broad Influence How Women Are Changing the Way America Works, and fellow at New America. tells the story of how how this came about in, in Norway and and why do you think it came about in Norway first thank you uh, and thank you for inviting me I'm so happy to be here and uh, well the story it's a long long story I'm trying to do the short version um, it was the the proposal for to legislate the the number of uh, female board members it came about around 2000 and it caused a big uproar uh, amongst the business uh, community. Uh, it was also a big uproar within the political party because it was proposed by um, the Minister of Trade and Industry, uh, a male minister from a conservative government, and uh, he hadn't checked out with his prime minister and the rest of the government <laughs> that this was okay. So he just called the newspaper and said, well, I got a news story. Could you please come to my office tomorrow morning? And of course they did. And the day after, there were big headlines uh, that we are going to impose uh, quotas for uh, for women on boards. So, uh, but, but after a while, he, he sort of horse-traded uh, that within his own, own government. Uh, and as soon as uh, he had uh, that established, it was, of course, easy to have the, the social democrats uh, to go along with, uh, with it. So I think that's one of the reasons why, why uh, it, uh, it was possible to implement it. Uh, but the debate was huge and, and uh, filled with emotions. There's no topic within board-related uh, board uh, issues that I'm debating that seems to raise this, the, the emotions this high. As you said, <laughs> I'm amazed you're still alive. <laughs> and so, so just a clarification, Dirt. So he he did it by pronouncement. Yes. So the discussions were around the implementation, but there was no vote thereafter. It was just his decree, so to speak. He had that authority. The, no, no, no. There was a vote in the parliament, but but he had to have because it was a coalition government. So he he had to have all of them agree, and then they have a vote in the okay, parliament. So. Uh, the vote was around 2004, and uh, it said something like, uh, we will give the companies until 2006 to get 40% women on boards. And if they do that, we will not legislate. But if not, the legislation will uh, will be implemented. So it's, it's sort of just uh, run along. So the decision was already made, and, and the companies uh, did not achieve the 40%, and then it was a law. To, to many surprise, actually, because uh, most of the companies were lagging back and said, well, this is not going to happen. You know, they, they can't regulate things like this. This is the owner's uh, right to appoint who's going to be on the board and things like that. So, yeah. so the, the Dead Norskas clearly had to 
to comply with this this crazy rule. Uh, do you remember the conversations, or, or how did Danuska sort of um, interpret and execute against something that was different? And by the way, why don't you start by sort of telling us, if you recall, how many women were on the board before the decree and uh, how many after? Yeah, so I, I actually joined the bank in 2004, and I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head with regards to our board composition before after. But it's important, a couple of things to keep in mind with regards to uh, DMB. One is that we're 34% owned by the government. So that, uh, uh, you know, that's a different kind of bank. Uh, obviously, governments have become more involved with international institutions during the financial crisis, but, uh, but we had for a long time had uh, government ownership. And I think that's also indicative of a lot of large companies in uh, Norway. Uh, you know, the very largest companies have have a degree of government involvement uh, higher than what we're used to uh, in the U.S. Uh, to, you know, we are fully compliant with the uh, with the legislation on our board. We have a, a chairwoman of the board, and we have a, a male uh, CEO. Uh, we have not had a, uh, a female uh, CEO of the bank. And I think if we're talking about kind of, you know, one is uh, implementation. I think it's interesting you talk about you know the voluntary aspect to it because that's that's really you know. In, in a way, that was an opportunity for companies to avoid legislation, and, and maybe it was too difficult or they didn't believe it or, or whatever. Anyway, they didn't comply, you get the legislation. And now the discussion has really moved much more to uh, you know, women in leadership positions at organizations, much more than boards. Boards are, um, you know, I'm not trying to minimize the issue, but boards are a relatively easier thing to solve uh, because you have a small number of people, uh, frankly, that you're dealing with. Uh, Maybe easier in Norway with the U.S. We haven't exactly solved it. So no, no, we'll no. Get it. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that it's easier to solve, but you know, a board by definition is a small number of people, and you know, executive management or or the management of a large organization is just a much bigger number. So, so just a, a really important yeah. point, I think. Yeah. So, if you look at the leadership to the top, the management committee or whoever you however you define the top of DNB, how many women? How many men? Oh, I don't have that number exactly, but uh, we're basically in a good spot when you come to what we call group. I'll define group. good. So uh, have, what's the percentage? <laughs> I, I don't have the number for you, so I can't. I can't tell you what it is. But I we have, have the number. Yeah, what is it? I think there's eleven people on the management yeah. team, and uh, four of them would be women. So it's, it's, it's not fair, yeah. fairly good. It's, it's not fifty-fifty, but it's so, not bad. Yeah. So we have the head of human resources is a is a woman. We have the head of the co corporate. Uh, I know. I know the. The corporate banking in Norway is is a woman. Uh, the head of uh, new product uh, development is a woman, and we probably have uh, s some other as well. I don't keep a total track of that, and I think that's also important to to keep in mind that it's not all about uh, you know placing uh, one or the other. But I think we've had good development there. But the the issue remains uh, the CEO uh, position. Uh, I think if you read the the press or or people who are very focused on this issue, you know, how do you get that up? Um, in my level, um, you you have a decent uh, position, but really, where you have a good balance, frankly, is is one or two levels uh, below me, and I think that's the uh, the ultimate challenge here. You have you have more women than men coming through you know educational system, certainly in the, in the U.S. So the question is, you know, how do you get women kind of staying with the with a chain? all the way uh, up to the top. So I think that's kind of the macro, 
macro issue. And, and, and D&B would be focused on that? or would Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we had a little discussion this morning. I mean, we had a review in June about our performance versus target, and our target is a 40% target uh, for, for women in, in, in positions of leadership. Uh, we haven't hit that uh, target, so uh, we've gone through area by area uh, on who's, who's where they are, and it's a complete uh, focus uh, for us. And um, it's a focus when it comes also to training, so bringing up people for uh, for new opportunities, make sure that there's a good uh, balance on on who you propose there, and there's also a uh, a in Norway at least there is a a if the per if the people are equally qualified, there's a bias towards hiring the the woman. So uh, so that's a Nirvana. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a Norwegian aspect uh, to it. You know, we have we comply with uh, obviously the U.S. rules and regulations. So. So we do things the the way here, which which means you could discriminate here. Um, and, 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 I'm not sure that's <laughs> actually we had a very interesting case last week. I, I mentioned also we we brought a U.S. Uh, employment lawyer to Norway to talk about the development of uh, U.S. employment law, and uh, you know I think if you look at that over you know certainly start with the civil rights movement and going up to today, I think the U.S. has been very good about dealing with. Um, macro uh, issues associated with discrimination. And, you know, we also talked earlier this morning about um, in Norway, it's very much about male-female diversity discussions. So that's, of course, one aspect. And when I think you're talking about the U.S., it's much more than the, the gender balance. It's, it's about a whole bunch of other things uh, that, that are issues. It's clear in the U.S., I would agree, people think of diversity more broadly. Oftentimes people in the U.S., particularly in corporations, will say things like the, the women's issue has been solved. It's about racial diversity. Um, I'm not sure I would agree with that, but I'm not going to answer that. Now, Jay has written a book that's coming out on broad influence. I love the title, Jay. And, and so, um, the, the, you know, does it make a difference? D does the composition of, of the board and the number of women you have make a difference to the culture of a company internally, the number of leadership positions internally, the focus, the, the, the culture? Absolutely. Um, there's a ton of research out there that shows um, that having a, a diverse board, particularly having a board with more than three women um, on it, uh, functions incredibly differently. Um, they're more profitable. They're more efficient. Um, they have to restate their earnings 55% less. <laughs> um, there's um, women generally, uh, there's like a great phenomenon where women tend to ask much harder questions and they come to the board meetings much more prepared. And there's all these kinds of studies that show that that actually gets the men to come to the board meetings much more prepared and um, and uh, and they have to um, sort of bear up to tougher scrutiny uh, that women do. Um, there's a great, uh, Ernst and & Young, and there's a whole bunch of different studies that have been done on this, but Ernst & Young did um, a kind of fun, it's not just the boards, it's also in teams within the companies. Ernst & Young has 88,000 accounting teams around the world and they did a study of how gender affected the productivity of all of their teams and found that um, the teams that hit sort of between 30 and 50% female um, were actually the most efficient. And so they mandated that all of their teams had to be at least 30% female. I mean, that was sort of their minimum threshold because they didn't have that many women. Um, 
you know, Mackenzie has this great women rule series or sorry, um, women matter series. And, uh, they found that they identified 13 different um, leadership qualities. Uh, and I think it was the 2008 study where, and then out of which I think women led in five of those qualities, men led in four of those qualities, and four were sort of gender agnostic. And um, and they found that, and then they asked all the companies, you know, in, that were members, uh, well, what are the most important leadership um, qualities going forward? And like four out of the five were the ones that women excelled in, and yet, <laughs> and yet they, none of these companies had hired, you know, enough women for their board or in their leadership. Um, so there's a ton of really compelling research out there that shows um, the ideal is really getting, I think, to a 30% threshold, um, which is why you have things like the 30% club in uh, in Canada and the US and the UK. Um, there's another initiative I was just talking to a woman here, 20% uh, 20 by 2020. Yeah. Yeah, thirty percent coalition in the U.S. And so there's there's a lot of different coalitions that are looking to reach that sort of critical mass tipping point where you see. But at the barest minimum, there's a ton of studies that have been done that show that you know one woman is a token, uh, two women is actually even worse. It's like a pair, and either they're arch enemies or they're bosom buddies, and like they're either collaborating against you or they're like hating, knocking each other out, and it's just kind of awful um and uh, and then so you need at least three women for them to really have any impact at all um and so there's and so there's i mean i could go on and on there's a ton of research on this um but it's very compelling that uh, basically best practices every company should be doing this George, you you look like you wanted to say yeah, something. I, I just wanted to comment on that because uh, it was still on why women on boards and uh, i am um, i'm also chair of a, a, a called a european confederation of directors associations which is an umbrella organization for directors' institutes in Europe. Uh, I entered that organization in 2010, and then they were debating why women on boards. That discussion has shifted totally, so now it's about how do we bring more women on boards. So that would be my <laughs> wish for you, <laughs> for the whole America, to get past the, the why and, and, and move on to how. But to it's an interesting commentary because before we started, uh, I was asking you about has performance improved, and you you sort of made a comment about you know well why are women on boards? Is it for egalitarian reasons? You know, women should ha have the equal opportunity, or is it for performance? And I didn't think you were so certain about the performance being demonstrated. The argument we used most frequently in the quota debate in Norway was that this was going to add value to the company. Uh, it was not a gender equality issue, and that, that was an important thing for the debate as such, but it is extremely difficult to measure that. You say it, it does matter, but, but how do you really measure that? And there are dozens of reports that shows negative effect on women on boards, a dozen of reports that shows positive effect, and most research would show, well, there actually is no effect. So I, I think I'm getting back to the, the argument that, well, women are half the population and equally intelligent as most men, I would think. And uh, when, when we are graduating, 50% uh, are women. So the, there's actually no reason why we shouldn't be on board. So yeah, it's, it's difficult that question actually but I just like to pass by it <laughs> and, and uh, who, who was that who said that well no one is questioning why women have voting rights anymore but they did well, 100 so, years some ago some people do but some you know. <laughs> <laughs> some still do. Yeah, I actually thought that uh, your 
so, so I went to business school in, in 2003, must have been. In and Norway. In, and actually in Switzerland. And uh, we had a very diverse uh, international uh, group, small group. And it was very focused on team uh, dynamics. And the really the, the best learning out of that program was that the super high achieving teams were the most diverse. And it can be uh, nationality, it can be you know all, all sorts of things, and also the the, the male female aspect. So I, I really respond to a lot of your points uh, there about the 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 really the teams that are going over the top are the ones with a lot of different perspectives. That being said, those are the hardest teams to manage. So you kind of have like super high performance if you hit on all levels, and you can have a really serious crash and burn uh, going on. So. So I, th I think also your point about the one and two and then kind of you make progress maybe with three if, if I interpreted that correctly. I, think I, I can definitely see that in a lot of groups that, uh, that I've worked with as well. So um, you say it's, there's debate one way or the other. I could probably poke some arguments about maybe the more diverse groups are more um, uh, progressive types of companies, maybe more interesting industries. Maybe you could take that out. I don't know. But anyway, I, I think it's, it must be understood that the that real diverse teams are, are the ones that deliver. So the, the question is, and Jay, I don't know whether, whether you got into this in your research, does diversity at the board really impact company culture and create the diversity within the company? So, um, you know, which gets into the issue of, of how important is a board in the operational excellence of a business? Um, that's a great question. And, and um, I didn't look at that much research attached to this, but my understanding was that um, it didn't tend to permeate. So even if you had a board that had critical mass of women, it didn't tend to permeate into the executive ranks. It didn't mean necessarily that there would be more women in the executive ranks. Um, and that, you know, it didn't translate necessarily to female CEOs or anything like that. So just, um, it, you know, and this most, the bulk of the research has really been done on, on board dynamics and not necessarily on executive dynamics, which I think is too bad because there's, I think it's, you know, um, it's a different topic and it's, it's an important one in itself, in itself, which applies to a much broader and much larger class of women and class of people. Um, but I would say that I agree um, with Giacomo about um, diversity, not just, and that's seen not just in, in studies of women on corporate boards, but for example, um, women on courts uh, for ju female justices. Um, you have 40% of state courts are female justices in the United States and 35% of federal courts. Um, there's been two very large studies done, one by Yale, I can't remember who did the other study, but um, that look at uh, group decision-making, like so courts that have um, several justices, and there's a, a very clear impact when you have one woman, and then there's a much bigger impact when you have two. Um, at least two. And so there's been, and, and just the, the, the types of, I mean, cause if you think about it, it makes sense, right? Like if you have a very monolithic, um, group of people making a decision who bring to the table, very similar life experiences, you're all going to come to a pretty much the same conclusion. But if you have people who bring different life experiences, um, then you're going to have a different conclusion. And then probably one that's a little bit well better rounded, um, because you're bringing in much more diverse sets of opinions and life experiences. And that can apply to gender or to race or to, to other aspects of things. Tori, did you see, observe this in, in companies in Norway? What Giacomo was saying that the, the 
the focus now is, is towards the management and the number of women in, in the top management teams. And historically, uh, the, the, or not just historically, but by law, the responsibility of the board is to hire the CEO. And there is stopped. But now there is a, a, a progression that the, um, the board should also be responsible for the su succession planning. So in order to have a talent pool to choose from, the, the moment you are going to, to select your CEO, you must make sure that you have a pool of, uh, of women also to choose by. So, so with that regards, I, I think the board now is looking more closely into the, the culture in the organization. And you said that uh, the HR uh, director uh, of DMB came to you and, and uh, tried to, to measure how, how you were achieving your objective with regards to gender. And I asked you, well, wh where did that come from? Did, did she invent this thought herself? <laughs> and what was your answer to that? It was from the chairwoman. Of course it was. There is a, can I just say, the CEO versus board debate I think is really interesting and it's also something that translates into other sectors of the economy. So for example, um, it's a lot easier for women to be elected to Congress and to state into legislatures than it is to be elected president or governor or any kind of executive positions because women are seen as inherently collaborative and therefore suited to a board kind of situation where they can collaborate with others, but they are not seen as executive command and control decision makers. And it's a really it's like the hardest, hardest um, thing for a woman to breach is that that balance between being tough enough to be a commander in chief or uh, a head of a military or a, a national guard and not being perceived as too tough, too tough as to be a bitch. And like and that is almost always what, you know, electorally brings down women. And I think it's not obviously the same exact thing in, in the private sector, but it's similar. It's, it's very interesting just from having experience uh, uh, involved in um assessing people in big companies, it's very clear that those biases about women just live loud and clear. So you do uh, reviews of people within an organization. You do 360s. Very often the, the men, you know, get written up of he's a real leader. He speaks back. He's, you know, forceful. You know, this these are great leadership skills. A 360 and a woman oftentimes and these are like real quotes um you know she speaks up too much she's forceful she's a real bitch you know and and not a team player so the very same skill gets translated differently for for women um i've just i've also either been on or affiliated closely with about eight or nine different boards um uh, in the united states and now in in, in the uk um my observation of its succession is uh, is is it's not clear to me that um, the board influences our, uh, those leadership positions that much because what happens is boards tend to look at the top layer of talent. You're looking at C-suite people, people who lead divisions. By then, the pipeline's already been filtered. And attrition rates happen oftentimes right before um, people get into that that pool. So oftentimes you're confronted with, um, you know, lists of people uh, who are the, the sort of backup for a position. If so and so gets hit by a bus, who's who's on the list? Well, the list is, you know, 
you know, uh, uh, people who are ready in the next year or two and oftentimes don't have any diversity. And so it's very hard at that, as a board member at that point to say, well, where are the women? You can then say, where are the women? Well, we recruit equal numbers of women, um, but they all drop out. They all go and have babies or something. And so, so the influence can be jawboning, can be talking about diversity. You certainly have influence um, in board composition, Right. When you're sitting on a board, you can help determine characteristics and and hmm. say whether diversity is important. But it's it's not that easy for board members to direct that much change within the company. So I just leave that as a, as an observation. I don't know how it you know how that that would translate in in Norway, where the boards in Norway are that more activist within within the management side but uh yeah yeah so i'm uh, i'm a couple layers removed from the board uh, management uh, interaction but uh, but it's clearly a focus uh, area and uh, you know i think this follow-up this continuous follow-up on this particular issue and and other issues uh you know manifest itself the other thing is you know how in sync is the chairperson with the uh, ceo you know mm-hmm. and i think in our case the, the you know the our ceo is quite in sync with the with the chair uh, regarding the issue that being said we haven't hit the targets and we're not really my view are probably not really on track to hit the, the actual numeric target so the question is you know what are the actions uh, to to do about that uh, and that's that's also uh, interesting so so just about up, targets know. before yeah. we'll side yeah. so so when people talk about m- missing the target do they acknowledge that uh, maybe the talent pool's weak? Do they? How do they reconcile targets with merit and right. the competency to do the job? How does that conversation play out in, in DND? I think it's if you go, you know, that's why I talked about the training programs. So there's been a lot of focus for many years about getting, uh, you know not necessarily 50-50 into the training programs, but certainly a good balance between uh, men and women into these programs, giving uh, opportunities. It's also the, the issue of equal, so-called you know, equal candidates that you give the bias uh, toward one to try to overcome uh, some of these issues. And I think in, in general, it's performed fairly well. But, you know, the Norwegian culture is, is quite different from, from – our culture and uh, you know, one comment I would sort of make about the the whole issue of diversity is that and uh, you know I, I love Norway I've been going there for 30 years so it's that's it's not the issue but the it's it's a very um, people know each other a lot and 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 it's 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 you know Oslo's kind of a small town and 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 you can end up with a lot of people that have gone to the same school, just like you have the same issue here. You know, I think you had something about you know, old boys network or whatever. That's really what we're talking about, right? Whether it's um, old boys or old friends or whatever the thing is, it's how are you getting uh, different people with different perspectives into a management position to take an organization to the next level. And I think uh, from a Norwegian perspective, that's a little bit of a challenge because it's a very centralized country as well uh, around Oslo. So you have, uh, you know, also the, the cities are, are very much on the periphery are thinking about themselves. And so that's, uh, you know, I say that there are, in, in my opinion at least, Torrid I think didn't quite agree. But you're from Oslo? Where are you from? 
Are you? Are you? That's good. I'm not from Oslo. Yeah, <laughs> because from, I, uh, no, a little bit far from the uh, the polar circle. Yeah, so I've I've spent a lot of time on the west coast in in Bergen, and that's the second city. And and not to get too much into Norway, but anyway, it's it's very it's very interesting dynamics between a capital city where where you have the financial and the political capital in the same spot. And remember, I talked about the government owning big stakes in these companies. So you have a lot of concentration. And and there's you know, two very good schools in Norway. One happens to be on the West Coast and one's in Oslo. And it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of syncing up in there. So I think that the, the advantage for U.S. companies is the, the potential for a broad range of experiences. The so question is, is, are we getting them? Okay, but so, so, but that's so. Tour to the women who get recruited to boards, essentially the same as the men from a, from from the same class and from the same group. Do they really represent diversity? That has been up for debate uh, because, uh, as you say, you say it's two good uh, good schools in uh, in Norway. That would be business schools. So yeah. we, we do have some other schools yeah, as well. So. <laughs> But but uh, yeah, they, they would go to the same schools. A uh, lot of them were uh, from um, from law school, actually, that came uh, came into those sports. And are they different? Well, it depends on what do you think that women are thinking differently than men. And I guess to some extent, uh, we actually do, even if we went to the same schools. But when you recruit women, mm -hmm. which which uh, we're uh, uh, very involved in doing. Um, are the backgrounds of women that you recruit to the boards different? Do they come from different professions? Do they come from different layers of an organization? Mm. They, they, they come from the same professions, but, but uh, as you say, from different layers, because you had to go one step down the, the ladder to find them. And the, the, the general notion is that, well, that was good, because you got a different perspective uh, into the boardroom. Traditionally, being on the board would be sort of the icing of your career cake you would have worked yourself up to be a project manager and then a group manager and a top manager and you would end up as a, as a board member and that's not the case anymore and and the board work as such is getting more professionalized and also are the, the board selection processes so when when the nomination committees had to find so many women they had to look uh, more closely, and they also had to evaluate the men as they did uh, the women. And with that regards, it said that, well, the quality of the board in total has gotten better. So I'm very interested, Jay, in the whole issue of of merit versus um, uh, uh, versus subtle biases within organizations. And uh, oftentimes, again, you know, people think that, that quotas or affirmative action um, sort of mask less able people getting into positions. Does this become a detriment to, to women in power? Does this follow them? The, this sort of subtle sexism, you mean? The subtle sexism. Or, you know, you're here because, you know, we, we were encouraged to put a woman in, but, but you, you wouldn't necessarily have gotten that position absent that. Um, well, I mean, we don't really, I mean, we don't have quotas in the United States, um, and it's hard to imagine the U.S. ever 
we had a debate about this yesterday, Bridget and I, but it's hard to imagine the United States ever really enacting quotas. It's just not part of our culture, our sort of quote-unquote meritocracy. Uh, other than Title IX and all the affirmative action in the 60s well, and 70s, we seem to write those decades off. But I yes, no, I guess I would say, I would say, I would say, I would say, this Congress and this Congress, let's face it, is going, you know, this Republican House um, is not looking like it's going to lose its majority, at least through 2018, probably 2020. And there's people can make a very persuasive case that if the Democrats lose the 2020 election, then um, it'll be another decade before they get the House back again or even have the potential to get the House back again. So um, given the way that they gerrymander districts. And so to, I'm just saying it's hard to imagine quote is passing this Congress um, and, and, the, and the Congress they have uh, any anytime soon. So um, I, as for, you know, this, this, I, I think it's more of a question um, for Turgid here. Um, so, you know, did you experience that when, when you, when you got on the board, did you experience, or did you see women in, um, in Norway experience uh, this kind of, question are you are, were you qualified enough were you um did you deserve this position did you drag down the quality of the board um i, I mean as far as i think for i think in the u.s maybe in older generations that might have happened I, I, there isn't um granted we haven't made much progress in the last decade um so it's we've been stuck at like as you said uh 17 18 percent representation on boards but um most of the women that I, I've known who, who and that I interviewed that served on boards didn't feel that way, didn't feel like they were, you know, um, like people thought less of them because they were women or that people expected less of them because they were a woman, um, that they felt that they had earned that position. I think they did feel that there was like five women in America that seemed to be on every board um, and they never seemed to expand beyond that pool. <laughs> um, and there was this kind of like, well, why is that? Um, but and there is evidence that we could be on the cusp of change, right? So I think something like 70% of U.S. board members right now are over the age of 70. So um, we're about to go through quite a big sea change as, as all those people retire and, and hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, we'll be able to bring in a lot more women at that point and a lot more minorities. But um, I mean, it really has been stuck for such a long time. And the few women that have been there, I think, have sort of felt like they really earned it being there, but then also um, that, that they, uh, yeah. Jay asked your question, but I'd also like to know whether there are age limits or term limits for, in boards in Norway. To your last question, no, there isn't. Another question is, should there be? Um, about, you know, during this whole um, debate, this whole consternation, it was said, well, women would not want to have the board position because of the quotas. And it was both uh, male and female board members who said that. Uh, they're going to be token women, they're going to be uh, B members of the board, etc. Uh, that has not happened. Uh, I got a lot of uh, calls from, from foreign journalists, and they would ask me to, to interview a, a quotated, quotated woman, uh, board director, and I would say, well, we don't have any quoted women, but if you want to speak to a, a female board member, I could help you with that. So as soon as they got on board, they're doing board work on par with the man, and, and that is not an issue. I do want to say, um, and this is a little bit in response to the idea of men and women approaching things differently. Um, I don't know if you saw, there's a lot of, there's um, neuroscience research about how men and women think differently, and there's um, the, the, the sort of Lehman sisters theory, have you heard of this? 
what is this theory? Lehman's. So the idea that if um, if Lehman Brothers had been Lehman Brothers and Sisters or Lehman Sisters, that the global financial crisis wouldn't have happened. Um, and and there's um, there's a there's a fascinating book. I think it's called Between. The bear and the wolf. Anyway, it's um, it's a, it's written by a, a British neuroscientist who um, studied. He did t- swab tests of testosterone of London traders every morning for a while, and basically figured out like how much testosterone they had in their system when they were trading, uh, and 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 how that sort of related to how risky their trades were. And um, and then they they figured out they they basically posited that um that men created financial bubbles because when there are too many men in a room um, and there's not enough women, the testosterone compounds um, and there's a winner's effect. So if you actually like can succeed with your trades, the testosterone surges even bigger, right? And you take riskier and riskier and riskier trades to the point where it becomes irrational. Um, and then when the bubble bursts, the men secrete cortisol and it's a freezing agent and they won't sell when they're supposed to sell. Um, and because they completely are like frozen and panicked. And so there was like literally this biochemical argument to have more women in the trading floors. Um, it's, you know, which is, which is so, it sounds, it sounds, you know, really appealing and then we'll find the, the biological basis for difference. And I sit here as a banker and I think, Hmm, all those limits that people put in place, all those, you know, uh, sort of uh, checks and balances within systems, all those statements, this all didn't come about because of the crash. And by the way, the woman who was responsible for the London Whale was the chief, the, 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 yeah, the CIO she, at, at, at JP Morgan was a woman yeah. and she took plenty of risk. So I listen to this and I think we all laugh and it sounds good, but, you know, bio, biology um, creates uh, certain differences clearly, but it's not determinative. The brain has developed. I think, and and so I think these are really uh, sort of fun, and I certainly I have two boys and a husband, and so I use plenty of them at home. But the, but 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 I think in a in a corporate environment, there's so many other checks and balances that that just simply saying that men take more risks than women, we'd be a safer society, is is I think a little far fetched. My perspective, and I'm pretty no, positive I mean, about women but it's it just a theory it's a theory that has been much debated out there i i, I i'm more interested in 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 creating opportunities for diverse people I, I i do buy the argument that different groups of people different backgrounds create different dialogues on things and see see the world uh, uh, uh differently i do worry however and i certainly in this country see plenty of of evidence that Getting equal numbers or critical mass of, uh, of minorities or women or, or it, you know, you name the the, the, the difference, um, just gets very hard past certain points. That the biases that that we carry within us within within our communities are so subtle and so overpowering that they actually. Um, uh, create their own roadblocks, right? And it's the subtle comments about competency there are the the interactions within rooms where you know there's only one woman or two women and a mass of men and so how do you change culturally or how do you get to recognize um, uh, uh, that those biases exist 
when, when certainly, again, in this country, the headline is, well, we're a meritocracy. We're a meritocracy and we're a democracy. So we can't acknowledge the biases that, 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 that I, think, I think are pretty obvious. Um, but, but, you know, if I point them out to, you know, to men, oftentimes they don't see it the same way because they're hiding behind, and again, that sounds awful, but they, they sort of say, but, but it's merit-based. Mm. And and I say, well, yeah, ninety nine percent of merits luck, right? But and 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 well, where do you see the biggest uh, hurdle for women in in the U.S. in you know either big financial institutions or other organizations? Well, I think that, finance is like the worst. Why? Why? Because if you go on a trading floor today, or uh -huh. you go into in, in you know institutional equities floor, and they're still like predominantly predominantly men, what you have is a, a back, um, back slapping culture, even today, uh, jokes or, or offensive, and the culture is what I call a fraternity. And it's not um, a, a, a very open culture. Woman comes into that culture, um, and the body, the body rejects, the, rejects the foreign entrance. A woman could be as as brilliant and as insightful, but will sit in, in a room and feel uncomfortable. And so dominant cultures have their own critical mass. And it happens the other way, too. I, I, I tell this story. I ran a business. And interestingly, when I ran a big global business, um, my management team was 70% women. Now, it didn't happen because I sort of set a quota. I, when I thought about it in, in retrospect, I always thought I was picking the right person for the job with skill and competence. But in retrospect, I think it's all, I was more open to women who you know to women than than um, uh, than a man might have been in my position because it's familiar to me. So they didn't look as other, right? One day, I used to have, um, my senior management team would would do a weekly meeting, and w one week uh, uh, the women got there earlier. And so, what do women do? We don't talk about we didn't we weren't talking about the sports teams. We actually were comparing jewelry, mm -hmm. right? And you know, we had been on a trip, and we, like I bought something in Burma, wherever I was on business. And we're like talking jewelry, and lo, lo and behold. One of the men had entered, and we hadn't paid any attention. He sat quietly at the head of the table, you know, at his head, at his, the other end. And after a while, I looked up, and I saw that Mike was there, and he had, had witnessed the sort of the gory details of women talking about their jewelry purchases. And he looked so immensely uncomfortable, mm -hmm. immensely uncomfortable. And I realized that, you know, he was experiencing in reverse what happens to many women who walk in on a Monday morning and the conversation is for the first half an hour, the bonding conversation is the White Sox and the Cubs or whatever, or fantasy football. And that's in this country. And those, that, that domination makes people either more or less comfortable, more or less willing to open their mouths, um, and that affects their performance and affects the opportunities they're given. When I said before that we all, it's that that luck that it's ninety nine percent luck, I also think that most people, again, they're outliers. They're Einsteins and they're you know brilliant people and really stupid people. But most people fall within a band of smart enough 
smart enough. Now, it's informed by you're smart enough and you don't work hard. But there's a lot of people who are smart enough and willing to work hard but um, don't have the luck. They didn't sit next to the boss's wife. If you read Michael Lewis, who I think is a fabulous writer, how did he get his job at Goldman? He was at a dinner party in Paris. He sat next to the, the boss's wife and charmed her. Right? Um, I think Jamie Dimon's brilliant in many ways. He puts his pants on like the rest of us. He got really lucky because he lived next door to Sandy Weil. And his father, Jamie's father, said, you really have to hire my son. As, it, as in college. And so if you go through, how do you have access? How do you have opportunity? It's not because you're brilliant. It's because you had access and a little bit of luck. And you, and I think, I think the whole leaned in movement, I'm on my soapbox now, is, is really a good one. But, and I think Sheryl Sandberg's probably smart enough and probably has a lot of emotional intelligence. But boy, did she get lucky that she took Larry Summers' class, right? And, and so you go through this, and I think luck has a lot to do with it. And so when you talk about dominant cultures, there are lots of people who don't have access, they don't have the luck because they're not mainstream within that culture. Terry, it looked look like you were going to say something. So. <laughs> I thought that you were saying that Norway was a small country. But, but, but it is about networks, mm -hmm. e even if your country is, uh, is fairly large, as you are. Uh, India Im implemented the quotas for women on boards uh, this year, I think. It was it, last year. Uh, I, I had a, a, a phone uh, or a conference call with uh, Corn Ferry in India. I think there were about 20 people on the call. Uh, and they were wondering what they were going to do and how to find these women on the boards, and I asked, well, well, how many women are we talking about? Uh, I think I said about 800. Well, in a country with 1.3 billion people, <laughs> you should fight 800 women. Hmm, yeah, that's a good question. So, but, but, but even, uh, I think in, uh, in India also, <laughs> I would guess that there are networks. Uh, there are groups of people that are holding the, these positions. So, but, but uh, when you point out that Norway is a small country, that also means we have to behave towards it, each other because we will meet the people all over. So, but network. So that's a. No. I think that's another. Great, yeah, great and topic. that's what you, you were pointing to my reporter beyond the old boys network. <laughs> it's an ACODA report. We did studies in. Um, in several European countries about selection processes uh, for board mandates. Uh, not specifically with regards to, uh, to women, but to, to look into the processes as, su as such. How are the selection processes being conducted? And it, it is moving towards a much more professionalized process, not only in Norway, but, but uh, in Europe uh, in total. Uh, and, and we also have to, to bear in mind these different governance models in Norway, we have uh, we have the board, non-executive board members only on the board, and we have the management. Uh, and there's a very clear cut between those two bodies. Uh, whilst in the US, you have you have a mixed uh, a, a mixed uh, body. Uh, so th that's also one of the reasons why it was easier to implement the quota, because you have this very distinctive group. Uh, of people, and uh, I would also like to point out that the, the quota is not a standalone law in Norway. It's a part of the Company Act. 
So it also means we, we do not have any specific uh, body to follow up. It, it, it is, if you're not complying to the company act, uh, you are being dissolved as a company. So... Um, Pretty severe. It is, but there are, are uh, lots of other things in the Companies Act you have to comply with, as to have an audit committee and you have to have a CEO and things like that, and no one is complaining about those kinds of things. And you also have to hand in your annual report and stating a lot of things. Uh, you know, professional. I think the, around the globe, certainly for boards, um, the, there's a uh, more professional standards have been established, whether it's because of Sarbanes-Oxley in this country, whether it's 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 Company X. I'm not sure, however, it it totally dissolves the power of the network, right? Mm -hmm. So even though you're professional and you may hire an outside company to help you identify people, there are certain signifiers of competency. Right? So there are certain job positions, there are certain titles, there are certain schools. So in this country, um, you know, what position you held, what, you know, you know, why is it the same five people? That, because there were women who were CEOs and at a certain point before um, uh, the companies were willing to go down from CEOs, that was, they were, you know, only five women CEOs. So they were asked to go on every board and then it was expanded to our CFOs and, and that these become signifiers for competency whether they're um, uh, uh, the only uh, uh, potential definition or not. And that's very powerful. In this country, um, there's a reason if you look at the Supreme Court, it's like nine people, right? So I think, uh, I think half of them went to Yale, half of them went to Harvard, one went to Columbia, 30% were undergraduates at Princeton, right? And so, it's not exactly representative of the, the a great amount of diversity, and I, while uh, yeah, it's hard for me to believe that those are the only nine legal minds in the, in the country. So signifiers of competency are are, are very powerful. Yeah. You, I agree, hundred percent. And that's, you know, I, I sort of made the joke about the two business schools in in Norway, but you can make the same joke about the, you know whatever a few more schools in the U.S. and and if you base it on population, it's no real uh, difference, uh, frankly. And I think that also people are using uh, which school you went to as a, uh, as a qualifier, uh, certainly for, for jobs. Um, you, you know, I asked you the question where, where you see discrimination in the, in the financial services, and, and you brought up a good point in trading floors and, and all this. But there's much more to finance than trading floors. Um, and we, we talked earlier this morning ab about kind of where we, where we stand. Uh, you know, just in terms of the New York office, we have very good performance of, of women in, in the workplace um, in in our commercial bank, and in the investment bank, it's not so uh, not so good. And then I wonder, is that because we're um, you know actively discriminating or not thinking about these things, or is it also uh, people want to go to a certain area based upon their you know? Uh, whatever they're interested in or what what desires uh, they have so you know we're we're corporate bankers or relationship bankers that's right. women women are relationship people investment bankers are transaction people those are doers that's guys and so they're it, it, I, just, there, I, th I think the real question is you know are is this a um, self-selection or is this kind of uh, a you know selection by the employer that you you don't want uh, people to do that and and I think if it's self-selection, then that's, you know, that's fair enough. 
If it's the other uh, issue, then then that's obviously not uh, good. So, so self-selection? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure if I follow this the part well, of the I, debate. Here, but, uh, I'll give you the yeah. argument, right? So I have, I have two small uh, boys. And uh, so I'm here on Friday night, and that means that I'm not picking up the kids uh, for uh, for at daycare, right? So that's that's an issue. The other thing is also, do I want to be involved with what they're doing, or do I not want to be involved with what they're doing Monday to Friday? If I want to work investment banker hours, if let's assume that I'm qualified to do that, then chances are I'm not doing the drop off and not doing the pickup uh, very often during the week. For me, that's that's important. For other people, it may not be important. So there are there are other drivers, and I, I don't. I'm not a woman, um, so I'm, I don't. I can't speak on behalf of women. But there are other drivers to what define what people want to do. The beauty of Norway is that you have a a setup which actually allows a high degree of participation by both sexes. So you have an excellent uh, you know daycare setup. You have it's a little restrictive on the hours, so that's that's another dynamic. But it's but it's a very good setup. Let's go to Tori. So Tori yeah. in Norway is now egalitarian Nirvana that that we Not Nirvana, <laughs> but it's pretty good. But do, is there a difference in the types of jobs women would do versus men? If you go into a bank, would you see that? Because it's yeah. you know it's pretty clear here that there are areas, certainly in certain industries, that are much more female friendly versus male friendly. Yeah, I still think you have in, in Norway also you have gender-based professions. Is that, that because the women select or is it because of systemic uh, uh, issues that channel them certain? I, I think it's a combination because when you say, well, we select, why, why do we select? Why, why do we want to go this way or that way? Uh, and, and that should also be based on well, 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 the framework you're working in. So if you have uh, studies shows actually in in, uh, in companies where you have a culture of including women, uh, then women will thrive in, in those companies and they will work to, towards uh, towards management uh, positions. Uh, so so it's difficult to say what comes first: is it the choice of the women or is it the the company you know sort of putting things right, to making them able to do that. We did actually a, just a small survey uh, uh, within the group of chairs of the listed and state of the companies. And both male and female chairs agreed that they needed to have more focus on uh, selecting the recruitment processes of women to bring them uh, to the top of the company. But they differed in the question that the male chairs uh, said that, well, uh, the women don't want these positions, while the female chairs said, we need uh, more, you know, regulators, we need uh, to, to, to have, uh, uh, you know, paternity leave uh, systems, and, and, uh, and also we, ha we need to make the companies to, to, uh, to yeah, I, I'm just... I think I'm, I'm, it's the middle of the night in Norway now. So I think I'm just falling out. Mm. <laughs> they, 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 they need to make systems in the company. So when the women are coming back from their leaves, they, they have to be able to, to, to get back the gap that the men have, have 
them when they were at home. So, so it's on, on different levels. It's, it's the women, it's the company, and it's also uh, politics. Okay. I'm going to ask Jay to make some observations about this topic, but I want to open it up to your questions uh, too. So after Jay, get your questions ready, and we'll sort of turn to some audience participation. Um, Jay, women get channeled. <laughs> women make this election. Um, I think there, you know, there is uh, societal expectations of uh, norms of genders. I mean, obviously, the Harvard um, Business School has done a lot of work on this um, and a lot of interesting research where um, they kind of came to this realization that they didn't have that many female students. And between 2006 and 2007, they lost more than 30% of their female staff. Um, and so they kind of were like, oh my God, we have to fix this and we have to figure out why it's such a hostile work environment um, and you know academic environment for women. And so they went on this sort of two year experiment um, and they really examined um, how women were perceived as students and also as teachers. And they found that a lot of, um, they basically made a lot of changes based on what they found. And so some of the changes they made were, for example, the culture of the school was incredibly alcoholic and very um, sort of party driven in like a very male way. And so they started to try to curb that and make it not be about like who can do the most number of tequila shots. Um, and like, and they, they changed the, they actually started videotaping all of their classes um, because male professors would um, call, would not, so 50% of your grade at Harvard Business School is on class participation and male professors would not credit women's female students with actually coming up with ideas because they, they would only hear the male students' responses and so the videotape sort of proved who came up with the idea first, right? Um, and they, they started to coach a lot of the female staff um, who felt like, judge really judged i mean the, the female students and the female staff felt very judged on their appearances and to the degree where like harvard business school guys were like rating you know online their 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 professors um appearances as well as their fellow students and so there are female professors who wouldn't go to school without like you know full-on makeup and in a certain outfit and like um and so they they tried to really de-emphasize appearance um and they tried to really um they they enforced mixed study groups they um but all of this was to say that um, there was this, e even after this class graduated, after going through all these experiments, they followed them to see how they're performing in in in, uh, in the workforce. And um, the women were a lot more aware, um, I think, that there was societal expectations on them and that they were in defiance of societal expectations to some degree. Um, and they... Um, and that was helpful in some ways and harmful in other ways. And so, and they uh, they they found that um, anyway. This there's a lot of research, and I'm, I'm I don't want to take up too much of this time. But um, it was um, to a long sort of long and short of this is I heard first heard about this at the White House. Um, they did a summit on working fathers, which seems sort of counterintuitive because every a lot of dads are working dads. But in this case, it was um, working fathers or people who were like single fathers or people who were trying to do fathers are trying to have a work life balance in the same way that women try to have work life balance. And a lot of millennials um, really demand that these days. And that's a real, really striking difference with um, generationally with previous generations that men um, and millennial men absolutely want to take care of their kids. They want to pick up their kids from school. Um, strikingly, 30% of kindergartens today um, have the primary contact as the father, not the mother. Um, and so you see increasingly um, a push by millennials and by this next generation to um, to have that work-life balance. And the ultimate sort of um, 
findings of both Harvard to some degree and, and the White House study was that there isn't going to be parity in the workforce until you have parity at home and until men start to really take on more responsibilities for family, for, for caregiving, for cleaning, for cooking and for all that stuff. And women still account for the vast majority of that. And so um, as much as we are working on and thinking about, uh, you know, parity and bringing women into the workforce more, we also need to think about bringing men more into the home life. So that's I'll finish with that. Well, I agree 100 percent. I mean, I love studies and, and everything that you said I can, I can really relate to. So um, I agree. I agree 100 so percent. So, not so clear whether it's self-selection or, or – No, but it, I agree. It's a that, rational decision that a woman may make because of, of the support she may or may not have at home – the sort of subtle decisions that couples make about who picks up the kid at, at childcare, as well as the the, um, but it's the also, ease of entry within an organization. Yeah, but to, it's also uh, that's why I made the distinction between investment banking and commercial banking. My choice to be on the commercial banking side is so I can do you know what what she described, and that's the that's the interesting thing. I think as generations develop, are we going to more a uh, balance? And and my personal take is that is that that's a direction. I think if you look at Norway, the, the male-female relationship on many of these traditional things is, is much more balanced than historically we've had here. So I, I agree. I'm not a millennial, but uh, I definitely relate to it. <laughs> Claim it. I think that's a wonderful thing, making people visible who are, have been invisible, I think is something that we need to work on. I think it's hugely important in all types of companies, not just financial services or... Um, I think it's a complex topic uh, that's that's informed by cultures. What may work in Norway may not be politically palatable here, but clearly finding solutions to get more people of difference in, in the boardroom as well as in senior management, I think is increasingly recognized as, as critical for companies because whether it's good or not, it is it is the fair thing to do for the populations that, that are – that, that comprise the, our various countries. With that, I want to thank our panelists. It's been fascinating to hear your perspectives. I hope you didn't feel too attacked. And I want to thank you for your time, too. Thank you for listening to this New America NYC podcast. This recording carries a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. To learn more about New America, please visit us at newamerica.org.